Welcome to Simply Christian, a podcast diving deep into the essentials of the Christian faith, heresies, and everything in between. I'm Isaac. And I'm John. Top of the morning, sir. Top of the morning, my brother. How are you? I'm I'm great, man. I'm great. Yeah. We got a bunch of books on the table this morning. Um, we do. We're going to need them. Um, we're going to be in a subject that is... It's pretty deep. Um, it's pretty uh, complex. It has a lot of layers to it. Um, and so hopefully we can be as clear for you listeners as possible. But I think it's very practical as well. Um, this is a subject that many people have questions on in their own personal lives, but also related to their congregational worship. And the question is this, what do we do with speaking in tongues? Um, miracles, signs, wonders, healings, prophecies. Um, you might get a flyer, um, come across your, you know, your Facebook feed saying like, come out to this, uh, prophecy conference, um, hear the word of the Lord for you. Um, things like this, um, somebody speaking in tongues, it might sound wonky to me, some of this stuff, but then I look through the pages of the Bible and I see some things there and I'm like, what do, how do I apply this to my life? To my personal life, to my home life, to my uh, ministry life, um, to my congregational life. How should churches look at this subject? And so we'll kind of dive into that today and explore these big topics, which certainly do cause some divides in some churches. And um, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. So um, basically, what we're going to do to come at this is we're going to define the positions that are at odds. We will um, look at the underlying arguments for each side, and then um, we'll look at each spiritual gift that's in question and explain why each side thinks it's applicable or not applicable today. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because in, in this, we see some people who would say, absolutely not, certain tongues, prophecy, healings, um, these are gifts that have no application for us today. They were present in the early church for a very specific reason to authenticate the message of the apostles. But for us today, we don't need them. Um, we have the fullness of the revelation of Scripture, and so we don't need these things. And others would say, no, these things uh, not only were present for the apostles, but we should seek these today. We should look for these. Um, but before we jump into that, like, how would we categorize this as far as our triage or quadrage? Yeah. Where do we put idea. this particular subject, level one, two, three, or four? Yeah, so I'd say probably in most cases it's a four. Could be a three, depending on where you are in the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And you probably would want your past the other pastors in your church on board mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that depends yep. on everything. And of course, there are some heretical views um, that we, we might get into. That would be that would be like a level one kind of deal. So. Yeah. Right. Yep. 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 Which hopefully we can flesh some of that out to, uh, with this episode as well. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants with this one. We do have a pretty a good outline, and we've been sketching some things out. But hopefully we're we're going to see how this comes together as the episode progresses. So um, hope you guys are tuning in. Maybe get your Bibles out, notebooks. Um, but hopefully this will be a blessing to you as you think through these things. But just to start with a def some definition of terms, um, we have like we said on one and one group. Um, it would say that gifts, these miraculous gifts have ceased. Um, and so the these 
people um, in this category, uh, to not just label people, but are often termed cessationists. Um, they believe that the gifts have ceased, um, and so hence the name cessationists. And so they wouldn't say all the gifts have ceased. Um, we still have the gift of faith, of giving, of helping, of preaching and teaching, uh, evangelism, things like that. These gifts still uh, are ongoing today throughout the church era. But certain gifts have ceased. And so again, hence the name cessationist would say tongues, um, the gifts of healings, um, the gift of prophecy, um, the gift of apostleship. There are no apostles in the church today. Um, and there are nuances within the cessationist camp, but nonetheless, there are the, the common denominator between all of them, as they say, various things within the, the collective whole of all of the spiritual gifts have ceased. Um, and then I don't know if you want to take the continuationist yeah, definition. Sure. So the continuationist would be, they would see these gifts as never having ceased. And they applied to the church then, they apply to the church now, um, and there's really no difference, even though maybe at the beginning there was a little bit more, um, there was, it was more uh, at the forefront. Mm -hmm. just because of what was going on but still like there was never a cease like mm -hmm. they all the gifts kept going and of course within that group there is still variation it's not monolithic mm -hmm. there's um, disagreements on what those gifts are um how they how they work and the operation of the church um and whatnot but nonetheless common denominator between that group is that they see all the gifts as still applying today mm -hmm. yep yep and so what we'll do first real quick here is we'll just kind of look at some of the underlying arguments before we get into kind of the more specifics of, all right, we'll look at specifically prophecy. What would the cessationists say about prophecy? And then what would the continuationists say about prophecy? And then same thing with tongues. What would the cessationists say? What would the continuationists say? Before we look into the specifics of each individual gift and the arguments that lie therein, um, we'll just look at kind of the overarching or underlying arguments that kind of are embedded within the foundations of each position. And so with a cessationist, um, one of the biggest problems that I find when I look up what um, cessationists would have uh, a problem with certain gifts being ongoing or continuing today is the biggest problem that I see, um, and this is one that I empathize with, it's that if prophecy is ongoing for today and it continues today, then that really gets at the sufficiency of Scripture. Because when we look at our Bible right now, we have an infallible pronouncement from the Word of God Himself. God has spoken, and when God speaks, He doesn't speak in any other manner but infallibly. He speaks perfectly, without error, and it is binding and authoritative on all of God's people. And so if someone is to come along and say, well, I have a prophecy, a word from the Lord for you, then that is also God speaking infallibly, just like God spoke infallibly through the prophet Isaiah, Ezekiel, on and on. And so if there is somebody saying, I'm a prophet, and I'm speaking a prophetic word from the Lord, then that's actually taking away from the sufficiency of Scripture. And that, by and large, is going to, if we're taking it to its logical conclusion, it will lead to extra books in our Bible. Because what these people are doing is they're speaking God's word. And if God is still speaking, then we cannot have a closed canon of scripture. Books of the Bible still need to be need to be added. We need to write down what these prophets are saying. And it's a word not only for the individual who they're speaking to, but 
for everybody of all time. These are God's words, and so we need to listen very, very, very closely to the, what they're saying. Um, and so that's a very strong argument, um, and it's kind of a gut-wrenching argu- argument to a lot of continuationists because they're like, no, I see this in the Bible, but then, yeah, how can I hold to prophetic utterances if I also hold to a closed canon of Scripture? Right. And it can be a challenge for people who are who are thinking that through. Um, and we'll kind of unpack that from the, set, from the continuationist side in a little bit, but just a, a few more underlying arguments that go with... Um, the cessationist position. Um, a very key passage, which I'm sure we'll reference a few times here, <clears throat> is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Um, and in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, just the context, um, Paul is saying that the the church is like uh, the temple of God, and it's built upon the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ, and then having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And then so Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, but then we have this foundation that is laid, which is the apostles and the prophets. We see the same language when it's, there's a reference to the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament, if we're just going to talk about it in shorthand, we're going to say the law and the prophets, or Moses and the prophets. And so that's shorthand for the whole entire closed canon of the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament, what cessationists would argue is that Paul is saying here is built upon obviously the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ, but the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so that is the foundation. And now we're building up from there as the church is progressing. And for anybody to say that there are still apostles and prophets today, that's like saying you're going to pour foundation on the roof of your house. You don't need to pour another foundation. The foundation is already laid, the apostles and the prophets. And so there are no more apostles, no more prophets. They were here for a season but again, that has ceased. Um, and so then just real one more, one more kind of foundational argument without getting into two specifics, which we'll unpack in a little bit. But 1 Corinthians 13 is often a go-to text. Um, and 1 Corinthians 13 is where we get the term ceased from, from cessationist. Um, this is the, the wedding passage. If you've been to a wedding, 99% chance you've heard this passage read, but it comes in a context that we'll unpack in a little bit of chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. But if we just look at verse 8 of chapter 13, it says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. And then we get that word cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. But we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And so the argument here is that there is a time listed in Scripture when things will cease, when they'll be done away with. And cessationists would argue that tongues here is clearly being referred to as having ceased, um, but also not only that, that um, the, the partial things, the, the things that were here for a season are no more when the perfect has come. And hopefully we'll be able to unpack that a little bit. But that's some of the underlying stuff with the cessationist um, point of view, which has yeah. some weight. And so just to present, uh, yeah, a solid case for what a cessationist would argue in this discussion. Yeah. As far as continuationists are concerned, some underlying arguments. Um, number one, they they think the Bible teaches it, of course. <laughs> and John fourteen twelve is a key passage here. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So right there, it just says, whoever believes in me is going to do greater works than I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that seems pretty powerful. Uh, <laughs> but then you got probably the more, um, the more clear section here where in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, we have all these lists of spiritual gifts and a great ex, um, exposition on these spiritual gifts. And there's no indication in chapter 12 or chapter 14 that these gifts are going to pass away. Paul's just talking like, okay, this is normal. Mm -hmm. He's just giving instruction on what they are and how they function. Mm -hmm. um, but he certainly doesn't say they're going to pass away. Mm -hmm. um, and those, at least in chapter 12 and chapter 14, we understand that. As you brought up, chapter 13, uh, cessationists argue that it, it mm -hmm. has passed away. But mm -hmm. um, but in chapter 12 and 14, we don't get a hint of that at all. It's just um, explaining what these gifts are and that they exist. Um, in Acts 2, we see at Pentecost, uh, speaking in tongues, thousands of people are converted to Christ at that point. And uh, then in First uh, Thessalonians 5, we see... Um, this one here, it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Mm -hmm. So right there, don't despise prophecies. Yeah. Cessationist, why are you despising prophecies, bro? <laughs> right? So, <laughs> you know, so there's, yeah, that's basically like those are some key texts and I think a formidable argument. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And so <clears throat> as we're kind of going through this, what we'll do is we'll just look at um, uh, each one of these as at a time. Because again, just to frame this up a little bit, <clears throat> the cessationist does not believe that all of the spiritual gifts have ceased. They believe that they are, uh, many of them are ongoing. You know, we're going to have, we're going to have pastors. We're going to have teachers. We're going to have evangelists. We're going to have people with the gift of giving people with maybe a little bit more faith in difficult circumstances than somebody else. Um, on and on and on. Um, these, these gifts are going to be ongoing except for with the exclusion of a, a more narrow list. That is more a miraculous list, if you will, um, more supernatural, more authenticating. And so what we'll do is we'll just kind of look at each one um, in turn. We'll start with prophecy and we'll just look at kind of what the cessationist would say about prophecy, um, but also what the continuationist would say about prophecy and kind of how these things can tie in together. Um, so as far as cessationism, um, how would a cessationist look at prophecy and like what's a big beef that they'd have here with a if if the gift of prophecy is still ongoing today yeah so the big beef is this that the bible says that um prophecy is god infallibly speaking through a man deuteronomy 18 so it's god speaking through a man or a woman um in the new testament there's a few cases of that so it's God speaking through someone. Mm -hmm. And if God speaks, it's true. God's words um, are, are perfect. And that doesn't just refer to the Bible. The reason the Bible is the Bible is because God spoke it. He could have said many other things, mm -hmm. and that would also be 
quote unquote, the Bible, because mm-hmm. whatever God says, it, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, um, a cessationist argument is, okay, if prophecy is still for today and prophecy is God speaking, then what we need to be doing is when people are prophesying, we need to be writing it down and adding it to our Bibles because it's God speaking mm-hmm. and it's just as true as the book of Romans or the book of John or mm-hmm. Genesis, whatever, because it's God speaking. Um, but of course, people don't do that, and most continuationists would probably have a huge issue with that. Mm-hmm. So they see that inconsistency, and they're like, "That that doesn't work. Right. So it's got to be something else." Yeah, this, this prophecy saying either it has ceased or it's something else altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's very various arguments for that, um, and they would see prophecy as being like you know. Either, either as having ceased in First Corinthians thirteen, uh, that's one argument, or in Ephesians two twenty, which you already referenced, mm-hmm. they would see prophecy as referring to the office of prophet, which was done, which was completed already, which is done away with us in the first century um, with the apostles for making the foundation of the church and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And now that we have the New Testament, that's the that is the apostles and prophets. Like the whole Bible is the apostle and prophets. So mm-hmm. we're we have all we need now, mm-hmm. and that's what it was. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And that's. I mean, there's some weight to that. Yeah. Um, if we're gonna sit under that for a second and just say, like, <clears throat> if we're to hold to a continuationist position, um, in which I'll tip my hand, I, I, I somewhat open-handedly lean that way toward a continuation position. But when I hear people, um, some, some names to throw out, Justin Peters is a big one, um, who very much says like, uh, you know, and you know, you get Todd Friel, John MacArthur, um, some of these names where it's like, they're going to, they're going to put at you and say, all right, I'm going to still call you a brother, but I'm going to speak very sharp, <clears throat> very sharply to you and say, look, I'm not going to condemn you here, but if you're going to say that God is still speaking, you better be, you you better know what you're saying because there's a weight to that. God, we can't just flippantly say like, you know, God, God's speaking to me. I have to acknowledge that that's a weighty thing to say. And I can't just go around saying God's speaking. And God told me to tell you this because there there carries with that. That's the voice of God. And so we can't just kind of loosely throw that around. So to sit under that for a second is pretty heavy. Um, A continuationist response to this um, is, I guess uh, one way to start with this is just to look at a few outlines of scripture where we see prophecy described. Um, And a continuationist will admittedly say, there are levels of God speaking. And that kind of sounds weird to say, but when God has spoken in finality through his scriptures, that's as high as we get. That's the highest level of authority that there is, that God has spoken through his infallible word. But there are ways that God speaks in maybe a lower level in the sense that it is um, less exclusive. It's more specific. It might not have as long and far-reaching implications as when God has spoken through Scripture. Because when I look at Scripture, I can go to somebody in China, I can go to somebody in Africa, I can go to somebody in Canada, and I can go to somebody right up the street. And I can say to them the exact same thing, because the Word of God is for all. 
the word of God is binding upon all people, all believers in Jesus Christ, this word is for them. Whereas prophecy is a little bit more limited. It's more focused in its context, and it doesn't have as far-reaching implications. And so when we see just a couple of examples of this, if we were to just look in the book of Acts, one example is Acts chapter 21. If we're to say that all every time God speaks, it's the equivalent of Scripture, and that He can't and doesn't speak in different forms and in different contexts with different focuses, um, and that every time God speaks, it needs to be an extra book of the Bible, we have a little bit of a, a challenge in saying that. If we were just walk through a passage <clears throat> in Acts chapter 21, uh, starting in verse 8, it says, On the next day we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, uh, we stayed with him. Now in verse 9 it says, Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And so these are women who prophesied. They're prophet, prophetesses. Um, but we have no recording anywhere of what they said. Nobody felt the need or the obligation to write down what these women were saying and stick it in the back of our Bible and say, all right, here's some extra books of the Bible because God was speaking through these prophetesses. It's just God was speaking through them, and we don't always need to uplift prophecy to the level of Scripture. But then even just following right after it, verse 10, it says, as we were staying there, there were some day staying staying there for some days a prophet named agabus came down from judea and coming to us he took his belt and bound his own feet and hands and said this is what the holy spirit says in this way the jews at jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the gentiles now this is a very specific prophecy agabus is warning paul who's about to go to jerusalem saying you're about to die if you go to jerusalem you're going to get bound hand and feet and they're going to arrest you and it's going to lead to something very horrible that none of us want to see. But I can't go take this prophecy, this word of God. It's an infallible pronouncement. God is speaking infallibly here. But I can't go to somebody in China and say, here's a prophecy that was meant for Paul and apply it to you. I can't do that. It's limited in focus because a prophetic utterance is different in the New Testament than a binding for all time and for all people, scriptural um, pronouncement from God. Right. And so the argument back toward the cessationists is, yes, God does speak in different levels, and so we can still allow some room for prophecy, and God can speak infallibly. However, we don't have to now write it down and again tuck it at the end of the book of Revelation. Um, just in the passage that you already mentioned, Brother 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, um, is an important one, and it comes up a whole lot in this discussion. Um, and again, just just like you read, verse 19, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances. And so here it seems like Paul is laying out a way for us to sift out what is bad and, and hold fast to what is good. When somebody comes up to me and gives me a, a prophecy and says, John, I got a word from the Lord for you. I have to not despise prophetic utterances. But then verse 21, I have to examine everything carefully. And so there is a process of what is called weighing or testing. Someone says, John, I have a word from the Lord for you. I'm not just going to say, okay, you're, you're telling me the word from the Lord. I'm just going to buy, buy it wholesale. I can now, what Paul says, examine it carefully. I'm not going to despise your prophetic utterance, but I'm going to examine it. And I'm going to examine it carefully. And then my next step is to hold fast that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. So as I now... It comes in a few different parts. The word of God is revealed to a person. Now I test it. 
and I weigh it. And then I kind of begin a sifting process and I say, all right, I'm going to take what's good and I'm going to leave what, what's bad and I'm going to use biblical wisdom and instruction and godly counsel. But I'm not going to just wholesale say, if you say you have a word of the Lord for me, I'm just going to say, absolutely not. That's impossible to happen today. But I'm going to sit and, and listen. Maybe you're a false prophet and I have to acknowledge that too and I'm not going to listen to you at all, but there could be some validity in what you're saying and I'm going to allow room for that with, again, not not feeling the need to write it all down and add it as an appendix to the Bible, um, is the argument. Um, but we also see, I mean, just in, in First, First Corinthians chapter uh, 14, Paul says something very explicit. Um, he says multiple times in, in this book, um, in these few chapters here, he says, uh, desire the gifts, earnestly pursue the gifts, um, chapter 12, verse 30, it says, desire the greater gifts. Chapter 14, verse 1, pursue, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Um, but Paul here, right here in verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. If we're going to take this passage and this chapter, which then gives instructions of how to prophesy, how to handle this gift, but he still says earnestly desire it, and especially that you may prophesy, then could a 21st century Christian look at this passage and say, I want to earnestly desire prophecy as well. I'm not quite sure what it is. I don't really maybe have my head around it all, but I want to earnestly desire it. I want to obey what the scripture says here and earnestly desire it. The response back to the cessationist would be, I'm going to take that at wholesale. And while, while I know there are dangers and there are misuses of prophecy, and I look and look around and see a bunch of false prophets, not only in the world, but also the Bible tells me to watch out for them, I'm still going to leave room to not just throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'll get rid of the, the false, but I'm going to try to keep what's true. And there's been misuses of pastors throughout church history, but it doesn't mean I'm going to wholesale reject the office of pastor. Right. Right. And in the same way with prophecy, there's a whole bunch of wonky stuff going on with prophecy, but we got to sift that out and try to cling to what's good still. Um, and so that's the argument back. And again, not to, to, to say that it's dogmatically accurate and correct. There could very much be some validity in the cessationist position. I'm a little bit more sympathetic to the continuationist position, um, and I'll probably tip my hand a whole lot throughout this just because it's hard for me to not to. But at the same time, um, not to just put this on everybody that you have to believe um, as I do, but these are some things to think through as we're thinking through the the weight of both positions and yeah. kind of how, how to navigate it. Right, right. Yep. So uh, next off is tongues. So with the cessationist position, there's a couple things. Um, so first of all, as you said, you kind of lean more towards the continue continuationist. I am more, I would probably lean more cessationist, though not completely. So maybe I'm a diet cessationist or cessationist light. <laughs> cessationist <you know>? light. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I am in. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, so a couple of things. So there's obviously that passage we talked about already, 1 Corinthians 13. It says... Um, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know, um, 
for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So um, there's a couple different types of arguments there. The first one is that um, that which is perfect has come is the Bible. And because we have the Bible now, all those other things are done away with. We don't need them anymore. So they pass away. The other argument is the different word is used um, for, it says, um, as for prophecies, they will pass away. And then skip the tongue section. It says, for knowledge, it will pass away. But for tongues, it says, as for tongues, they will cease. So it's a different different wording used. Mm-hmm. And then it says, the very next verse, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So it completely skips over the tongues. Mm-hmm. And the very next verse doesn't say that. So the argument goes, and this is... Um, something you can find in people like John MacArthur, where they would view uh, the knowledge and the prophecies as not passing away until Christ returns, but tongues ceasing as in like it will just kind of wane out. Mm -hmm. It'll kind of not be a thing anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one way to take it. I'm not really sure where I am on that, honestly, but... I will say this. These are the um, the next two arguments I will give are the ones that convince me the most that prevent me from being wholesale continuationist. Mm. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, so first of all, looking back at church history, there really is not anything that I can think of that shows that the church practiced this after the book of Acts. Like, I really don't see anything at all up until really uh, the uh, 1901, was it? The Azusa Street Revival? Oh, the Azusa Street Revival? Yeah. 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 Like, there really isn't much of anything. Uh-huh. Um, and the only things I can think of that even mention it, some of them were kind of like cultish. So <laughs> it's really, at least from what I know of church history, which I, I know a decent bit. Um, it's it's kind of uh, kind of slim pickings <laughs> for evidence <laughs> of of uh, of tongues, at least in the tongues in the respect that a continuation continuationist would view it. Uh, the so the other so other than the historical argument, there's also just the argument of like, okay, what's the point of this? So if tongues in the church is some sort of prayer language or whatever that needs to be interpreted. Like, what's the point? Why can't we just talk to each other in whatever our native language is and just go from there? Like, that seems perfectly normal to me. Why do we need to have some guy speaking gibberish and then this other guy interpret it? That seems pretty ridiculous and not orderly. Um, And then the other thing is, okay, why can't tongues just be speaking in like uh, just a regular language, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's what tongue means. It means language. It's another, it could be translated that way. Um, so if, it, if it's just speaking in languages, isn't it more reasonable to think that maybe the church in Corinth, um, because it was a trade center of the ancient world, not the, but a trade center, um, that there would be lots of people there with different languages. Right. And it makes sense that 
within the church, there would be many believers who maybe didn't share the same language. So there had to be people with gifts to be able to, um, to speak and translate Mm -hmm. that whole, that whole thing Mm -hmm. so that people could hear the gospel and hear the word and, and all that. Um, like that, that would make sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and that could still, and I know some cessationists, and this is probably where I would more lean is you wouldn't even have to say that tongues have ceased necessarily. Um, like I know Paul Washer, for example, this is what he says, um, that tongues haven't ceased, but he would define tongues as what I just said. Like it's just languages. Um, and like when you go to another country, for example, and you're speaking to people who don't know your language, maybe God gives that person a gift to be able, when they speak, the other people hear them in their language and they hear the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very a missional type thing, but it wouldn't really have much of a use in our context in America where we all speak the same language primarily, mm-hmm. you know? Right, right. So yep. yeah, th- those would be some of the arguments that I, that I find for sure pretty yep. convincing for me. And it's in, in that case, it's still miraculous. Um, but it's, it's only miraculous when necessary. Like yeah. you don't need it. If yeah, a bunch right. of English speaking people in a church, right. what's the point? But in a case where, like, um, to your example of uh, in Corinth, it being a trade center, probably a lot of different languages represented. Right. If somebody has a word that they want to share with the congregation, um, and God all of a sudden gives them the ability in that moment miraculously to speak in a language that even they don't understand, but it blesses somebody next to them. And now the interpretation would not necessarily be for the person who heard it in their own language, but maybe the interpretation would be back toward maybe them and other people who speak the language that they don't speak normally, but they just spoke in tongues right. or in that in that time, right? Right. 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 Okay. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That would be that would be kind of a, a at least one perspective of that cessationist argument. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um. And, and just to add to that too, something else that is, and, and I know this is potentially you don't just paint with a broad brush, um, but there is some weight to this of what, what kind of errors you see. Um, and some people will say, well, you just kind of, there's a few bad apples, but you throw those out, but you don't wholesale, get rid of that. You get rid of the bathwater, but you don't get rid of the baby. But an argument goes is that not only, we don't just see like a few bad apples, we see this as a broad sweeping plague on the kind of Pentecostal, more charismatic church movement that we see a few good apples, but mostly we see bad apples. Mostly we see this incredible error, incredible, dangerous, and even just heresy and blasphemy coming out of the the charismatic movement that it's not a few bad apples. This is a detrimental plague that is devastating. And so um, you listen to some people and they speak just broad brush and they will write it all off for the sake of um, addressing this erroneous thing where it's not like with maybe there are some pastors out there who are obviously horrible pastors, but by and large, there's a lot of good ones. And so their argument back to the, to the, um, to, to a continuationist would be, yeah, we're going to wholesale reject this because we can see 95% of it is awful. And so while there may be a few that we can call our brothers, this is pretty bad. Um, and so I can, I can relate with that as well. And I sit under that and I think that's a, it's a weighty argument and it seems to have plagued a lot of things, but 
um, the continuationist response to the to the tongues. Um, and just real quick, just trying to not to be too complex, but three quick categories for tongues. I think a continuationist would often see things um, is we see it in a few different ways. One is we see it for the purpose of authentic authentication, and so when the gospel is going out, we see. Uh, Peter in the book of Acts and the 120, the spirit falls on them, flaming tongues on their heads, and they start speaking in languages. This is an authentication purpose. Um, it is authenticating who they are. Um, and then we also see this authentication happen as the gospel goes beyond just Jews, ethnic Jews. It goes now to half-breeds, Samari Samaritans. In the book of Acts chapter 8, you see Philip going into Samaria, and the gospel goes there. And now all of a sudden, people there are saved, but people won't really just buy into this. They won't be like, well, the gospel can go to you know, half-breeds. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls, and they speak <clears throat> excuse me, in tongues verifying, authenticating. Nobody had to teach them how to speak in tongues. They just instantly did. And now all of a sudden that verifies and authenticates the fact that the gospel is going beyond just ethnic Israel. Then in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the first Gentile convert in his whole household, all of these people, the, the Holy Spirit falls on them as they're baptized. And Jews start complaining and saying, whoa, the, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. And Peter's like, what was I supposed to do? Of course, I got to baptize them. They were speaking in tongues. This was authentication. And so as the book of Acts progresses, we see authentication to verify that God is expanding the gospel beyond Israel right. to Samaritans, to the ends of the earth, um, just as Jesus had told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And so he was authenticating his process. And so uh, a continuationist would see tongues being for that purpose. And maybe some continuationists would even see the authentication nature of tongues having ceased. There's no more authentication necessary because we know that the gospel does go to the ends of the earth and we don't need to see instantaneous, miraculous tongues without anybody to teach them. That, that purpose has ceased. The second category, second of three, is that uh, a continuationist would see tongues for the purpose of missions, um, to go reach people that you cannot speak their language and you cannot communicate the gospel to them. God will miraculously give you the ability to speak their language, to convey the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel to them. And we see kind of you know this, this laid out in Acts chapter 2. Peter and the apostles, what are they doing? They're going and telling the mighty deeds of God to people who are surprised that they're hearing the gospel or they're hearing the words of God in their own language. And they're surprised at that. They're shocked at this. And so we see, you know, instances of this in stories of mission, missional people who go into African tribes and miraculously, like you said, bro, they, they speak the language and it's like, how does that happen? It's miraculous. And so that's the second category, but then the third category, and this is the most disputable, but the third category that a continuationist would give for tongues is a congregational purpose, a, a means of edifying not only yourself, but also the rest of the congregation, that this has a place and a purpose within the church, not for missions, not for authentication, but just simply for the blessing of the local body, and that this actually does something good. And while there are ways that this can be misused and mishandled, and we've seen that throughout scripture, uh, throughout history, but also even in Scripture, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 has to give a whole lot of, he has to spend a lot of ink 
from his little pen to <laughs> explain to these people, you guys, I want you to pursue the gift of tongues. He even says uh, in 14, um, 19, he's like, I, I thank my God that, or 14, 18, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Like he's, he's grateful that for the gift of tongues, he's already told them to pursue this gift. Um, and then later, uh, uh, he says, forbid not the speaking in tongues. Um, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three at the most and each in turn must interpret. And so when he is giving this instruction, he's saying, yes, pursue tongues. It's going to be for your congregational benefit, but I'm going to give you a whole lot of instruction on how to navigate this gift because it can easily lead into chaos. It can easily lead into confusion and just people will just think you're bananas. Um, but <laughs> if you use it well, you don't have to worry about that. And so there's instruction here to, to not forbid people from speaking in tongues, but to make sure that there is a cohesive system to it. God is not the God of chaos. He's not just going to confuse things and leave your services to people flopping on the floor and crying out and screaming and yelling. Like God still is a God of order. Right. Um, and so the, the argument there is that in this category, we don't have to import Acts chapter 2 into here and say that this is um, going to be uh, kind of a, this miraculous thing. This is more congregational. A person can be given the gift of tongues. They can pursue it and say, God, I want the gift of tongues. Just like another person can say, God, I desire to be a teacher. Paul says to in 1 Timothy 3 that he's desired a good thing. In the same way, Paul, uh, the continuationist would argue, if somebody desires, oh, God, I want to speak in tongues. He's desiring a good thing. He's doing something great. He's by desiring the gift of tongues. He wants to speak in it. Now this person is just like the teacher, begins honing their gift, pressing into it, trying it, failing at it, doing things in a biblical way and applying scripture to this gift, but they're just going to begin growing in it and it's not going to be perfect. It'll never be perfect, just like the the person who pursues the gift of teaching will never be perfect at it, but they'll grow. And as the years progress, they will have become better at speaking in tongues. It'll be more edifying, not only for themselves, but for the edification of the congregation. They'll understand when to do it, when not to do it. Um, and it'll begin to look a whole lot more Christ exalting and, and God glorifying as time progresses. Um, that's how the continuationists would kind of argue the gift of tongues and these categories. But all the while acknowledging the the grotesque misuses of it and being able to speak very sharply against some of these people who really just kind of seem almost demonic. You know, if you watch some videos, you can easily pull some up on YouTube of just Crazy heretical stuff, stuff of, and, and you just see it's it's terrible. But right. they would argue back and say you can't you can't judge the the good by by the bad. Right. Yep. Yep. So so next off, apostles. Apostles. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, with this one, this one is very interesting because there's a bajillion different views on this, even within continuationists. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not monolithic at all. So, um, but the cessationist position is pretty, pretty standard uh, on this. So, basically, the cessationist view of the apostles is that the office of apostle was reserved for those who saw the risen Christ alone, only those. Mm -hmm. And their... Um, their apostleship was also verified by many miraculous signs and miracles. Uh, 
so second Corinthians, we already referenced this before, but uh, it's like that with a lot of these. Second <laughs> um, uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So right there, we see, okay, an apostle is able to do these mighty works to verify his office. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2, verse 20. Again, already mentioned this. The church is the house of God, the temple of God, which is the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So in he, in this passage, um, cessationists would see apostles and prophets as being shorthand for saying um, all of, well, you could take it this way. Not all of them do. Mm-hmm. It's shorthand for the scriptures. Um, and which could be that, but at this point, the scriptures haven't, like the canon hasn't been closed, so I wouldn't go there. I would just say that those who have been given the authority to speak on behalf of God in this way um, they are the foundation, and those offices are no longer. Um, there's no one in the office anymore because no one has seen the risen Christ, mm-hmm. other than these, you know, people in the first century. Right. Right. So therefore, yes, God did give the gift of apostles and prophets to the church, but that was for the beginning of the church to kind of kickstart everything, mm-hmm. to be the foundation. You know, as this passage says, and then after that, everything is built on that. Mm-hmm. Which, practically speaking, um, I think a good argument for that is that's exactly what happened. Um, in the sense of, like, we build all of our theology off of the writings and the teaching of the apostles and prophets that saw the risen Christ, which mm-hmm. is what we're reading right now, the New mm-hmm. Testament. Mm-hmm. That is the writings and teachings of the apostles. Mm -hmm. So we are building our theology, our Christian life, off of their foundation that they laid. Amen. Amen. So, I mean, it's not... And everyone should be able to agree with that. The question is, is there more to it than that? Mm -hmm. You know, is Mm -hmm. is there something more to what what an apostle would mean? And is the office of apostle now maybe a little different than it was back then. Mm-hmm. So there's those questions that still need to be asked. But the cessationist position would be that there are no more apostles um, today because that was exclusively for those who saw the risen Christ and verified by signs and wonders right? that they yep. could do on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yes, yep. Yeah, <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me, the... the um, Continuationists, um, there are some who would give a hearty amen to all that, and there is a kind of a, a segment within continuationism that would say, "Yeah, we we believe all of the gifts continue except for right. apostles." Right. And some would say, "Amen, yep, we we just we believe that one gift has ceased." Um, and so sometimes a cessationist would say, "So you you believe that the gift of apostleship has ceased." You must be a cessationist then. Um, and I've heard Sam Storms kind of respond to this, and he would say, well, okay, well, you believe the gift of teaching has continued, so you must be a continuationist. And so <laughs> so the, the it kind of goes back and forth, and it kind of cuts both ways in the sense that, um, you know, you can, some continuationists would say, just because I believe one has ceased doesn't mean I believe 
the rest of them have ceased. And I'd come back at you and say, just because you believe one continues doesn't mean you think they all can continue. But there is a whole nother segment, though. And just to make a quick case for why some continuationists believe that there can still be apostles today and they will look out and say, I'm going to I'm going to call this person an apostle and definitively believing this person is an apostle. Um, and some of the passages that they go to for this is, um, you know, you see this in Acts chapter 14, uh, verse 14, I think it is, um, <clears throat> where it says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed into the crowd. And so it, it's definitive. It's, it seems like it's defining not only the apostle Paul is an apostle, which everybody acknowledges, but it even seems like it's saying Paul or Barnabas is an apostle as well. And so. Barnabas wasn't one of these like elite apostles, like the 12. And then once Judas hung himself, then he was replaced by Matthias. And then we see the apostle Paul. And a lot of times we think of just the 12 plus Paul as a bonus apostle um, to the Gentiles. But the bonus. (laughs) (laughs) And but it seems like there maybe is giving some more room for the use of the word apostle and that there are apostles of Jesus Christ, which are very, very specific and can never, ever, ever be duplicated. But there are potential lower categories of apostles, for lack of a better term, that an apostle just might mean a sent one, uh, uh, a missionary, somebody who is going to go and establish churches. Um, uh, Paul says to Titus, uh, set up elders in all of these places. And so maybe Titus was an apostle in a sense that he was one who goes and breaks new ground. He is one who goes and establishes churches, appoints elders, and then moves on and goes to another place and plants churches, establishes elders. And he is a groundbreaker. He is laying foundations where there is no foundation of Jesus Christ's name yet named. Um, And so an apostle probably wouldn't be maybe right here in America because the name of Christ is really named all over the place, but there's going to be somebody who goes and lays new foundation elsewhere. Um, It's kind of how how the argument might go. But also we see this, um, and this is a, I'm stealing this from Michael Brown, but as I walk through this passage, I just want to kind of give you his argument. Um, But it says in chapter 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, now you are all Christ's body and individual individually members of it. So he's speaking to this Corinthian church, saying that they're uh, a church, you know, they're, they're a body of Christ. Individually, they're members of it. And God is, in verse 28, he tells them what God has appointed in their assembly. It says, verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? And so he goes on and says, basically, there's a a diverse body within your church. And again, to read the list, it's apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. If If the cessationist view is correct, says Dr. Michael Brown, then what we're left with is simply teachers, helps, and administrations, because prophets are gone. Miracles are gone, apostles are gone, gifts of healings are gone, tongues are gone. And so you're left with a kind of an amputee amputee body, somebody who's paralytic, somebody who is a quadriplegic, because now you all you're left with is just three out of that seven or eight or nine list that Paul is mentioning there. And so why should we be people who would remove 
or say that these gifts have ceased, why can't we still say we are a very healthy and whole and well body of Christ, even in 2021, where we still have apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, gifts of healing, Mm -hmm. helps administrations, various kinds of tongues. Mm. Um, And so you see that kind of argument laid out um, where why not? Why not allow for apostleship? Why not... um, acknowledge that they're not going to have universal domain. They're not apostles of Christ. They're just apostles still out today. And some would even say, like, even even the Apostle Paul, um, and I forget where, but he says, I'm not an apostle to them, but I'm an apostle to you. He says this to these people, and he's not claiming universal authority, just like maybe an apostle today, if we were to see one, someone, you know, and obviously you'd want to test these things and all of that and figure out, is there validity to this? But if there was an apostle, it doesn't mean he can just go anywhere he wants and claim authority over the whole entire church. He would have a very specific and limited and focused um, dominion of authority mm-hmm. is kind of the argument that yep. that, that they would present. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Lastly, lastly, we got healing. I need healing, some healing. healing. All right. <laughs> so... With a cessationist argument, this is a little different. So cessationists wouldn't say that healing has stopped in general. They, they wouldn't say that because God miraculously heals people all the time. Still pray I've for people to get it. healed. Yeah, we still pray for people to get healed, right? So uh, this is a little bit of a different... Um, there, there's a qualitative difference between the gift of healing and these other gifts. Um, God really... Like both both sides believe God heals. The difference comes between our individuals gifted with this ability, and has has that changed over time? And what are the differences there? So a cessationist argument would basically be this: that yes, God still heals today, and He can do that, but people can't command that at their will, and this gift has either ceased or there's something else going on with it because with the examples we have in the Bible, all pretty much all the examples that I can think of anyways that we have in the Bible of healing uh, seem to be it was an on-demand thing mm-hmm. regardless of the other person's faith. It just on-demand. And some examples of that, Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are going to the temple, and there's a crippled beggar there. Ask them for money, and instead of money, they heal him on demand. Mm-hmm. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, get up and walk. You're healed. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 15. Um, uh, yeah, they carried um, people out to the, the sick, the sick under the streets, and laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter came by, um, at least his shadow, that at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And then, so so even even Peter's shadow is, is healing people. <laughs> and Acts chapter 19, the handkerchief of Paul is healing people, which this seems like really weird stuff, but the whole point was to verify the, the uh, validity of the message that they were presenting of Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Um, but when in all of these circumstances, the these healings are taking place, and they're at 
Um, it's obviously all sides would agree it's God doing it, mm-hmm. but there's like this conscious intentionality behind it that these people are are healing. Like Peter and the apostles are all they have these gifts of healing, and people are healed at will when they want them to be healed. But we don't see that today. At least, not not often. Some mm-hmm. people might claim it, but I don't see them going to hospitals, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and healing people, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think that's a that's a a pretty good argument. That okay, if this gift of healing really is the same thing that the apostles had, then we should be able to go to a hospital and heal people in the name of Jesus to validate the message of the gospel Mm -hmm. we should be able to do that if that's a if that's a normal thing Mm -hmm. and if not how cruel are we if like if we have that ability and choose not to do it and choose just to do it in this little building Mm -hmm. that we have complete control over that's convenient Mm -hmm. um anyways just kidding um and it's like why the heck aren't we going to the these hospitals how selfish are we you Mm -hmm. know right um so i would see and i i think that Either the gift of healing has ceased, that's, that's what a cessationist argument would be that I'm more sympathetic towards, either the gift of healing has ceased or it's a different thing mm-hmm. altogether than what the apostles were doing. Yeah, right. Um, right. And yeah, so mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. kind of like, eh. Yep, yep, that's right, yeah. And so, I mean, you know, the the thought there is, I think in some ways very rock solid because and 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 maybe I just haven't met many people who say they have the gift of healing because the ones that I that I've maybe encountered would be like yeah it worked this time and maybe this time and this time but there have definitely been times when I've prayed for people or tried to seek healing in a person and nothing happened and to your point it's like yeah if 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 what we're going by, as we see in scripture, people praying, like Paul praying for somebody or, you know, healing somebody, it wasn't like he had a 90% track record and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, and so with that argument, it seems like if somebody is to claim that they have the gift of healing, they better be ready to say, I can do it anytime. And it's been a hundred percent of the time when I right. seek somebody's healing. Right. Um, and so, I mean, the only thoughts really on the other end with that one is um, kind of that same passage, first Corinthians 12, 27 and following where it's just like, you know, this is the layout of right. the body. And maybe it's just that the fact that the church isn't earnestly seeking these things, um, we have kind of mm-hmm. become cold or indifferent to them. Similar to like how some church might be, uh, cold or indifferent to evangelism right. and a few people here and there in the church maybe happen to share the gospel, but by and large, nobody really does. And God's not just like supernaturally zapping them with the gift of evangelism because their hearts are cold toward it. But if they were to to turn and say, God, I, we repent, we, we want to seek this. We want to earnestly desire this. We know we're supposed to be doing this help us, then God would begin working them and he'd get all the glory. But as they're earnestly desiring it, he's giving them the ability to go out and, and right. share the gospel in a similar way. Maybe the heart and the climate of people is just so cold to, to healing and saying, first we're jaded by all of the the fake stuff, the Benny Hins and all of yeah. these just like, you know, uh, the swindlers, but also we're just kind of like skeptical and maybe 
if the continuationist view on this is right, that it's just our hearts. And if we were to, as Paul says, earnestly desire and just say, God, we want this, we're, we, we desire this, that he would then begin verifying and he would begin doing these things um, just like he would in a church who wants to be, be more evangelistic. But just to come full circle, you know, the, the passage that you started with and maybe just to, to end with, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, and there's no real qualification, it's just a general statement, he who believes in me, um, which we acknowledge we believe in him today, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works he will do because I go to the Father. And so not only the the greater aspect, but even the very works that he did, um, hopefully, are being manifested in the church, um, not only what he did, but also greater. And so the argument there goes, yeah, church, let's rise up. Let's do not only the works that Jesus did, the healings, the miracles, but also things even greater. And so, you know, that's that's the the, the tough position we're left in because there it does seem very solid on both sides. And I think I can be persuaded either way and I'm comfortable either way. Um, And while I'm more sympathetic to the continuationist position, I I respect some of these arguments on the other side and I can sit under the weight of them. Um, And so now we leave it to you listeners. Um, Yeah. I hope you guys think these things through. Talk to us. If you got thoughts, we would definitely love to hear um, where you're at with some of this stuff. We really like hearing from you guys anyways. And so if this is something that's been on your mind or you've been, uh, provoked or interested in this subject particularly i know i have a whole lot more to learn on this subject me too so reach out to us give us your thoughts for sure cool well that's all for today's episode consider subscribing for more simply christian content and until next time